I am Grandpa, and I love you. I'm Grandma, and I love you too. Welcome to our podcast, Grandpa and Grandma Bedtime Stories. We share some stories that will make you laugh. We share stories that might make you cry. And we share stories that will give you courage to choose the right. And these bedtime stories will help you to dream sweet dreams. So get on your pajamas and say your prayers. Turn out the light and hear our story tonight. This is Grandpa Edward Jeffrey Hill, and this is a bedtime story about one of my favorite ancestors, George Washington Hill. Do you know what an ancestor is? An ancestor is a person from whom you descended further back than your grandparent. You descended from your mother and father, and they descended from your grandparents. Your ancestor is someone from whom you descended further back than your grandparents. For example, your grandparents' parents are your ancestors. They are your great-grandparents. Do any of you have great-grandparents who are still alive? You might remember my father, Edward Iringhill. He was your great-grandfather. He liked to play the accordion and sing and loved it when you would FaceTime or Marco Polo with him. He died last January 2022 at the age of 93 from COVID-19. I was sad that he died, but happy that he went to a better place. I believe that when you die, your spirit continues to live. I believe that because of Jesus Christ, when my father died, he went to a spirit world to be with my mother and his ancestors. I believe he is happy there. Everyone who is born will someday die. Your great-grandparents may be the first people that you know who die. Your grandparents' grandparents are also your ancestors. They are your great-great-grandparents. My grandmother, Mary Theresa Snow Hill, is your great-great-grandmother. She was a great-great woman who loved education and saw to it that her eight children were well-educated. She lived in a time in the early to mid-1900s when few people went to college, and even fewer women went to college. And yet with her influence, all eight of her children got college degrees, including all of her daughters. Three of her children got master's degrees, and three of her children got doctorates, including my father. Because my father had a doctorate, the family I grew up in always had a good income and didn't have to worry about money. Another of her children, my Uncle Reuben, also got a doctorate and was the first sociologist in the world to study about the family. He is known as the grandfather of family sociology. He is very famous, even today, among social scientists who study the family, even though he died more than 30 years ago. My Grandma Hill was very proud of Uncle Reuben and would beam when she talked about him to me. She told me I could be like him. And guess what? I am. I got a doctorate, and as a professor, I also study about the family. My Grandma Hill lived in a time when women weren't expected to do more than take care of their families, see that their husbands and children were successful, and be active in community affairs. They weren't expected to go to college or to have a job outside the home. 
Sometimes my Grandma Hill was frustrated about this. Actually, she was often frustrated about this. She loved her family and wanted to take care of them, but also wanted to do other things. When she got a little older, she decided, what the heck, she was going to do what she wanted to do whether or not anyone liked it. So when all of her children were in school, she went to college to get her degree in child development. People would be perplexed and ask her, Thressa, why are you going back to college? She would respond that her mind was a great gift and that she wanted to develop that gift. After she graduated from the Utah State Agricultural College, she wrote a book that was very successful. I won't tell you the name of that book, but I want to read it with you sometime. I think it's very good. Let's get back to ancestors. What do you suppose your grandmother's, grandmother's, grandmother would be called? Think about it. You are right. She would be called your great, 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 great grandmother. What do you suppose your grandfather's, grandfather's, grandfather would be called? Think about it. You're right. He would be called your great, 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 great grandfather. Doesn't it seem like there are too many greats to say? You are right. So usually, when you refer to any ancestor after your great-great-grandparents, you just use a number to represent how many greats there are. That way you don't have to say as many greats. So your grandmother's grandmother's grandmother would be called your fourth great-grandmother. Isn't that cool? Our bedtime story tonight is about one of my favorite ancestors, my grandfather's grandfather, George Washington Hill. Can any of you guess who George Washington Hill is to me? You're right. He is my great-great-grandfather or second great-grandfather. Now, can you guess what ancestor George Washington Hill is to you? You'll have to be a genius to figure it out. Any guesses? I'll tell you. He is your fourth great-grandfather. George Washington Hill's father, your fifth great-grandfather, Richard Hill, had been alive when George Washington was alive. He loved George Washington, the general that won the Revolutionary War and the father of our country. When his wife Sarah gave birth to a beautiful baby on March 5, 1822 in Amesville, Ohio, they named him George Washington Hill. So you can tell everyone that you are related to George Washington Hill. Richard and Sarah wanted their baby boy to be inspired, to be honest, to be a person of integrity, and to be strong just like George Washington was. That is what I want for you, too. To be inspired, to be honest, to be a person of integrity, and to be strong just like George Washington and George Washington Hill. George Washington Hill was a great man who, fortunately, wrote quite a bit about his life. And his son also wrote quite a bit about his life. Tonight I want to tell you a story that George Washington Hill and his son tell in George's life history about how he was inspired to find a wife and a new way of life on the western frontier of the United States in the mid-1840s, and how he was inspired, honest, a person of integrity, and very, very strong. In those days, there were no ovens or heaters or microwaves. 
People had to burn wood in fireplaces or pot-bellied stoves to heat their little houses and to cook their food. If they didn't have the wood, they were cold and had to eat raw food. To get wood to burn, someone had to chop down trees and cut the wood into pieces that would fit into the stove. As a young man, George Washington Hill earned his living by chopping down trees with an axe and cutting the wood into little pieces. It was hard work, but George was strong, like George Washington was strong. He was also fast. He had contests with other men to see who was the fastest at splitting logs with an axe. He won these contests almost every time. He split the logs from the trees into small pieces that people could use for firewood. He sold the firewood so that the people around there could cook their food and heat their homes. He was honest and a person of integrity. He always charged a fair price and always delivered his wood when he said he would. When George was 21 years old, he started thinking about getting married. While he chopped wood, he thought about the kind of home he wanted. He wanted to buy a farm and build a little house. He pictured a woman who was a good cook and would be by his side and help on the farm to support his family. He thought about having many children who would also help him as he plowed the fields. He thought about all the wheat and corn he would grow and how his family would never be hungry and he could make some good money. Early one afternoon, George laid down his axe after working hard all morning. He wanted to take a little break to rest and get something to eat for lunch. As he closed his eyes, he thought again about the girl of his dreams. When he awoke from his nap, he started eating a biscuit with honey on it. Then something amazing happened. He heard singing coming from somewhere in the woods. He heard the beautiful voice of a young woman. Her voice sounded sweeter to him than the honey on his biscuit. George quickly stood up and focused intently on where that voice was coming from. His heart began to beat faster. He heard a quiet voice deep inside say something to him. Then out loud he said to himself, My wife, the good Lord has sent her to me. That was the first time George had ever heard that voice. But he knew from that very moment that he would marry the young woman who belonged to that voice. Soon George found out that the girl was named Cynthia Stewart, and she was from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Her family had just moved there. She was 10 months older than George, which was unusual because most wives were younger than their husbands in those days. George's father, Richard, knew the Stewarts and thought they were good people. In the Stewart family, there was a father, also named George, and a mother, Ruthinda, and ten children. Cynthia was the oldest at age 22. The youngest was a baby, not even one year old. Unfortunately, the father was very sick. George talked to Cynthia in her home and fell more and more in love with her. Have you ever been in love? Well, since you're my grandchildren, you probably haven't been in love yet. But I want to tell you from experience that it is a wonderful feeling to be in love. I'm in love with Grandma Tammy right now, and I was in love with Grandma Juanita when she was alive. It is a wonderful thing to be in love with the person you are married to. George and Cynthia did things together. They had fun together. They liked each other a lot. I will now quote from 
Incidents in the Life of George Washington Hill, which was written by George Washington Hill on January 2nd, 1878. So these are George Washington Hill's own words. In the spring of 1845, I bought two small farms and thought I would settle down for a time at least. One of these farms was designed for father and the other for myself. It was here that I became acquainted with an esteemable young lady by the name of Cynthia Stewart, and having bought a farm for myself with a house upon it, I began to cast about me for a partner to put into that house to keep it for me, and thinking that I had found in Miss Stewart my partner for life. I proposed to her. Her answer was that she was a Mormon and that I didn't want to marry a Mormon. I told her, I thought Mormons were as other people. I believed Joseph Smith to be an imposter, but for all that, I thought just as much of Mormons as anybody else. She gave me The Voice of Warning by Parley P. Pratt to take home with me to read and then see whether I think the same. I took the book to read, not thinking to find in it anything that would be of interest to me. I was always a great hand to read and had always had practice of reading all kinds of books that I could get a hold of. But what was my astonishment to find that it claimed a perfect organization of the Church of Christ with apostles, prophets, and all other appendages that belonged to the Church anciently, and that I fully believed it would take to constitute the Church of Christ in any time. When I found they made such bold pretensions and claimed the Church was organized with all the gifts and blessings, as was the Church anciently, I became so interested in the book that I read it, and read it over and over again. And I wondered if I was really living in a day when the Church was again restored to the earth. I pondered the matter over in my heart, the Spirit all the time bearing witness to me that the work was true. I resolved in my mind that I would go and see for myself. I would always believe from a child that it had been my lot to live when there were no apostles, prophets, and teachers upon the earth. When I learned that the Mormons claimed to be that people that had the apostles and prophets, I determined to investigate it for myself. And if I found on investigation they really held the priesthood, that the angel had already visited the earth, I determined to cast my lot with them. But what should I do now? If I told Cynthia that I loved her and that I believed in Mormonism, she would say, You're a deceiver. You profess to believe in Mormonism just to get to marry a Mormon girl for a wife. I concluded I would tell her that the book was well-written, and that it contained good doctrine, and so on, and pass it off in that way, and that I would conceal my feelings about the church from her. Okay, now this is Grandpa Hill, and I'm back to my part of the story. At this point, Cynthia didn't want to marry George because he wasn't a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But then something happened to change her mind. Her father died and left her mother a widow with ten children, including a baby. At this time, the members of the church were having lots of persecution and were going to leave Nauvoo and go across the plains to Salt Lake City. Cynthia's family wanted to go with the saints, but didn't know how they could possibly do it on their own without 
their husband and father, George. So Cynthia went to George and said something like, If you will promise to take me and my mother and my nine brothers and sisters across the plains with the saints, I will marry you, even if you are not a Mormon. Now I return to George's account. I determined to carry out the resolution I had formed, and on the 18th of September, 1845, I was married to Miss Cynthia Stewart. A Methodist preacher by the name of Yeager performed the ceremony. I had gone some 20 miles to get him to marry me, as I did not want a justice of the peace to marry me. Cynthia, the wife of my choice, has always, under all circumstances, proved a good and faithful and true wife to me, and I have never regretted my choice, but have always considered that I had one of heaven's greatest blessings in her. So, George got to marry his sweetheart, Cynthia. They had lots of adventures that I will tell you about in some future stories. For now, I will tell you that George found it to be very, very, very difficult and very, very, very expensive to move Cynthia, her nine siblings, and her mom to the Valley of the Great Salt Lake. Lots of times he felt like quitting, but he didn't. He kept his promise. He was honest. He was a person of integrity. He did what he said he would do. He was inspired and he was strong. He took that whole family to the Great Salt Lake. Truly, George Washington Hill was very much like George Washington. He was inspired. He was honest. He was a person of integrity. And he was strong. You will see this even more when I tell you some of the adventures George had as he crossed the plains with Brigham Young and eventually with all of Cynthia's family. So that's all for tonight. I hope you can be inspired, be honest, be a person of integrity, and be strong in every part of your life. Sweet dreams, chocolate creams, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. Love you. We hope you enjoyed tonight's bedtime story. We hope you felt our love for you. And we hope you will have sweet dreams tonight. We love you so much.